Boy, it's good to be back with you all, to sing with you, to be before you preaching is a real honor, and uh, it's just good to, to, to look at you all again after being away for a few weeks. We've, we've really missed you all. Um, this morning, if we haven't met yet, my name is Charles Johnson. I'm one of the pastors at Red Mountain Church, and this morning we are in Psalm 32 as we continue our march through the Psalms. Um, this is another, as uh, many of these psalms we've looked at recently. This is another one of the psalms of David, as you see in the little inscription subtitle uh, in the text. Um, But it's a bit of a change of pace for us. In the past, of the past several weeks, we've looked at at David during, during a time of trouble, what David's heart looks like and what the cry of his heart looks like during a time of real difficulty. This morning... We're actually looking at a prayer of David and what seems to be in the aftermath of some trouble. So instead of uh, sad David or discouraged David or troubled David, actually we get happy, rejoicing David. Giddy might even be a word that we could use to describe. This, this psalm is a prayer of gladness in so many ways. It begins with the word blessed, which means happy, happy are the, and it ends with gladness of heart. So let's look together and see what makes David so happy. This is Psalm 32. I'm going to read the entire Psalm verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray. Father, thanks for gathering your people together as you do. And thank you for giving us your word, that you show us yourself. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we look at these words, that you yourself, through your Holy Spirit, would instruct our hearts. And that more than anything else, we pray that you would show us Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King. Uh, Would you help me? My voice seems to be fading for some reason right now. And so I pray that you would strengthen my voice. 
Help me to love these friends and to honor you with the words that I say. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you know the name Francis Schaeffer. He's one of the more well-known pastors um, in our Presbyterian heritage in the middle of the 20th century. He started a ministry, I think it was mid-1950s, like that's a funny way to say mid-20th century, but mid-1950s. He started a a ministry that continues today. His legacy continues called Labrie. Uh, it, it, it is now located in several places around the world, um, but he started it. He and his wife, Edith, started this ministry out of their chalet in Switzerland. And it, it, was, a, uh, it, it, it was begun as a place where the curious traveler or the doubter or the skeptic or the discouraged could all come. And their questions were dignified and they were welcomed into a home. It was a place where... He, uh, he gave lectures and he hosted conversations, um, and that, that, that would sometimes go deep into the night because, as he would always say, uh, Christians shouldn't be afraid of hard questions. Uh, some of you have made the pilgrimage to Labrie. I, I, never, I have never been able to do it, but it's a ministry that means a lot to me in a lot of ways. Uh, it kind of values the work of hospitality amongst God's people. It gives us an example of, uh, of the warmth and dignity we should extend to those uh, who are asking good questions. But uh, what's most interesting to me uh, about this story of Labrie is what came just before it. So Francis Schaeffer was a Presbyterian pastor. He pastored in a local church for a lot of years. And then he entered a, uh, what he called a crisis period. It was truly a crisis of faith. Um, And and it was rooted in this uh, powerful disconnect that he saw between the content of our faith and the life of those who profess the faith. Uh, This is a quote from him. This is what he said. He said, one saw little reality in the things that the Bible so clearly, clearly says should be the result of Christianity And it grew on him that what he was true of what he was observing in his people was also true of him as well. It was this disconnect between what we believe to be true and what our lives look like that was most discouraging to him. And this is a disconnect I think we all are familiar with in some way. Like every time we think, every time we think, why did I do that thing? Or why did I laugh at that joke? Or why did I go along with this idea? Or these things are not who I am. We are observing in some way a disconnect between what we believe to be true as God's people and the lives that we live and even the workings of our spirit. When David says in verse 2, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. What he is talking about is the healing of that disconnect. He is talking about the wonder, the joy, the sheer happiness that comes from the healing of this disconnect, what God is doing in David. And I want to note three things as we, uh, as we make our way through this that, that contribute, all contribute to this healing that David experiences in this psalm. I'm going to talk about courageous honesty, courageous honesty. Second, I'm going to talk about divine forgiveness. 
And then finally, I'm, I'm going to talk about ongoing trust, okay? Courageous honesty, divine forgiveness, and ongoing trust. And talking about honesty, I think it's worth noting that David's story doesn't really, or David's restoration doesn't really begin with honesty at all. In fact, it begins with dishonesty in, in a way that I think all of us can really identify with pretty, pretty easily. So David begins by saying, I kept silent about my sin. Uh, this is verse three, when I kept silent. What he's doing is he's seeking to manage his own guilt by hiding it. Uh, instead of feeling freedom to confess his sin, David felt guilt. And instead of confessing his sin, he feels the need to hide his sin. We don't know what he did. Uh, we don't know what he didn't do. But we see that this effort to manage his own guilt by hiding his sin led to all kinds of exhaustion. Do you see that in the passage? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. This is a description of both physical and mental anguish. My bones wasted away. I was groaning all day long. Uh, this is what uh, this is the result of uh, of just his hiding his sin. A friend of mine compared this impulse we have to kind of hide who we are or hide what we've done to, to, to being kind of like trying to hold a basketball underwater. Have you ever tried to do that? Uh, it's really nearly impossible to do that and anything else. Unless It's really nearly impossible to do that unless you have large, really large hands, okay? Uh, because everything in that basketball wants to rise to the surface, right? Everything. And so it requires almost all of your effort just to hold that thing underwater, and it's rolling around down there trying to fight it. That's kind of the picture of what we see in David. That all of his energy, mental and physical, is going toward hiding his sin. And one of the reasons for his exhaustion is because God loves David so much that he simply won't allow David to thrive as long as there is this continuing unrepentant sin that exists between the two of them. David might have been able to hide his sin from everyone else, but there was one person who knows everything that he can't seem to hide from. In another psalm, Psalm 139, David writes this, O Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. So not only is this impulse to hide uh, just exhausting him, we also know that it's a futile exercise. As David says that it was uh, your hand that was heavy upon me. Uh, my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. So what does David do? Where does all, where does all this take David? Well, it leads him to confessing his secret sins. He uncovers what's covered. He embraces the honesty required to acknowledge the reality of what he has done, whatever that is. Now, I would call that courageous honesty. Because that, 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 like exposing ourselves in a vulnerable way, the ugliness of what we have done or thought, that requires courage to do that. Even before the Lord, it, it can be remarkably hard to do. It's also, in a lot of ways, the first step to our healing. 
This has been a prominent thought in modern psychotherapy over the last 70 years. It's been kind of pioneered. You see more and more papers over this, mostly from female psychologists, actually, like Carol Gilligan or Rebecca Chop. Uh, Elaine Scarry out of Harvard has written a lot about this, but this phrase that keeps coming up is uh, that they use over and over again is something called the silence that kills. I have a good friend uh, who said to me once, it's one of his favorite things to say, actually. Uh, He says, you're only as sick as your secrets. And one of the realities that this psalm is teaching us is that one, I just want you to hear this, the impulse to hide is not unique to to any one of us, okay? It it is something that we share. Uh, It's not unique to a region that you live in. It's not unique to a family system that you grew up in, although there there are ways we can live in places that encourage that more. But the impulse to hide is a powerful one. The other thing it's telling us is that it exhausts us, and one of the reasons for that is because God, God loves you, that God wants to draw you out. Hebrews 12 tells us that God disciplines those he loves for his good. And just like God drags this confession out of David, sometimes the Holy Spirit afflicts our consciences for the same reason. It's a sign of his love and a desire for nothing to stand in the way of our relationship to him. You need to hear that. But that's not all he shows us in this story. He doesn't just invite us into being honest in our relationship to him. Uh, what he does, sh- another thing he shows us through the story and in many others throughout the Bible is that we have nothing to fear. When we stand before the Lord revealed and honest and transparent before him, we actually have nothing to fear. In verse 5 is radiant and beautiful. It is, it is worth going home and just staring at verse 5, meditating on verse 5 for a while. Because what is it? It's, it's a description of the miracle of divine forgiveness that's given to God's people. It, you know, I never, this is going to sound a little weird, but let me just ask you to do this. Can you close your eyes for a minute? I'm going to read verse 5, and I'd love for you to hear it. I'd love for you to hear it. Hear it well. Let me read verse verse 5 to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the sin of my iniquity. Do you hear that? You can open your eyes. Do you hear that? You forgave the sin of my iniquity. That is beautiful. And I want to give you two. There are lots of reasons that is beautiful, but I want to give you two. One is that divine forgiveness is comprehensive. If you look, there are actually several different ways that David describes his own sin in this verse. Excuse me while I take a sip. The first line, look at these three different lines. He has three different words that he uses uh, for, to describe his own sin. The first one is simply the word sin, the word that we translate 
sin. That's an offense against God or other people. It's a breaking of God's moral law, okay? In the second line, he uses is a different Hebrew word. It's one that we translate iniquity. And that word has to do with bending or twisting reality. It's, a, it's used to describe redefining what God says is good and true. Uh, one example of this might be when God calls something good, we call it evil or vice versa, okay? It's this, uh, this willful reluctance to embrace reality as God sets out before his people, okay? And then the third word in the third line, he uses a different word, the word that we translate transgression, and that is a rebellious self-assertion. That, that would be the, the way we translate that. It's, the desire, it's the, the desire to do something that we're told not to do. Uh, you know that feeling where somebody tells you, don't go over there, that's not good for you, and you immediately want to do it. That would be, <laughs> that would be a transgression. And, uh, and so what he's doing, and this is what I want you to see here, is that David, this isn't just poetry, David is actually plumbing the depths of the sin in his own heart, and he is not withholding at all when he confesses his sin for the Lord. This this is like a, uh, um, uh, let's see, one scholar said he is doing nothing to conceal the distorted self. It bespeaks the readiness to conceal nothing of the distorted self, is what one person said. And then God forgave everything David described when he spoke of the sin in his heart. If David's confession was comprehensive, then I want you to see that so was God's forgiveness given to David. There was simply nothing that God wasn't willing to forgive as David laid his sin bare before the Lord. And not only that, it was comprehensive, but it was also immediate. I mean, the simplicity of this verse is almost overwhelming to look at. God doesn't draw it out. He doesn't make David wait on his forgiveness. He doesn't make David squirm. He doesn't make David do a bunch of things to make up for what he had done. He doesn't do any of that. In fact, it almost looks like God's forgiveness comes in the same moment that David confesses his sin. It is comprehensive. The divine forgiveness of God is comprehensive and is immediate. And this is beautiful for so many reasons, but I just want to name two. The first is because what it says to David. Because David longs for something that we all long for, but we find in very few places. He is told that he is both fully known and he's fully loved at the same time. You know why we hide? You know why we spend so much time trying to manage other people's impressions of us? Because we believe that being fully known and fully loved is mutually exclusive. That the only reason somebody might love us is because they don't know us very well. Or they wouldn't love us if they really knew us very well. And what David is showing us is that in God, actually, 
we, through the work of the gospel, Jesus given to us, we actually arrive in a relationship where we are both fully known and fully loved. He says, I was exposed before God and he loved me. And it's also beautiful because of what it says to us about God's heart, that God loves to forgive, that God is actually eager to forgive his people. Ever since Genesis 3, this is the biblical story of God actually working out forgiveness for the sake of his people. Ever since Genesis 3, God has been hard at work drawing his people into confession, repentance, and forgiveness. That's the whole story. So when you read a book like Leviticus, okay, now that might, boy, that might be a hard book to read. That's okay. Uh, and you might look at it and you might like try and understand the sacrificial system as it's working its way out. If you do this, then you sacrifice two doves and then you go take a bath and then you talk to a priest. You might look at it and think, what are we even talking about here, right? Well, one of the things I want you to see when you look at it is that God was establishing a way for people to understand their sin before the Lord, but also understand God's heart of forgiveness, that God longs to forgive his people. And nowhere do you see it more clearly than in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. I mean, many of the stories Jesus told were about forgiveness. One of my favorites, one of my fa- I, know, I feel like I mentioned this parable like once a month. But one of my favorites is the par- parable of the prodigal son, where you've got this, this younger brother who runs away from home and he like squanders the family's wealth and he indulges in all kinds of things. And then he, he realizes he needs to go back home and ask for his dad's forgiveness. And so he prepares this big speech. And he goes home and he can barely even get the speech out before his dad like blows it off and embraces him, puts the family ring on him and throws a party. You see God's heart to forgive, that he is like eager to forgive. Jesus one time was in a room when they lowered a paralytic and he said, he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. And he was saying, not only is your greatest need that your sins will be forgiven, but he was also saying, this is what I'm here to do, to secure for you the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting. Jesus also said once, my purpose is to do the will of the one who sent me. And so you got to wonder to yourself why in the world Jesus would leave the goodness of heaven in perfect company with his father and suffer the humiliations and the miseries of life on earth after all he surrendered to do that and suffer the, the humiliations and the weaknesses and the miseries of the cross. There's, there's a reason that he did all that. When you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, you are looking at the links that God will go to in order to see your forgiveness. It's this grand invitation to come before him because he longs to forgive you. That's the joy of the gospel given to you in this passage. And not only that, Not only is forgiveness something God is eager to give to you, but it's also something that God gives you as a kind of habit of life 
as we seek to inhabit an ongoing trust in the Lord through the rest of our lives. See, there's, some, there's a pivot that happens as you move from verse 5 to verse 6 in the psalm. What, what you see is David tells this story, and then he says to God's people, you go do the same thing. And uh, I remember, and this is important to us, I remember a few years ago, this is one of my sons, um, who will go unnamed, came to me, uh, it was beautiful, he said, he said, so God doesn't just forgive my sin today, but he also forgives my sin tomorrow. And it's this powerful reality that I think he was coming to understand was not just do I need God's forgiveness right now, but I'm going to need it for the rest of my life. And so God calls us to just come to him repeatedly over and over and over again. David is saying, make this a habit of life for you, that you would confess your sins to the Lord and enjoy his mercy. First, because his mercy protects you. His mercy protects you. Uh, In Jesus, you have a hiding place. Verse 7, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. Notice the the contrast in the arc of the psalm. It It begins with David hiding from God. And now what you see is because of God's mercy, David is hiding, protected, covered up in God. We sing songs like this, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in me. His mercy covers us and protects us. Uh, A couple of ways to think about it might be, um, (laughs) if you're familiar with the two towers, uh, if you read the book or watched the movie, Frodo has a cloak of invisibility, right? It covers him and protects him from those who seek to destroy him. Uh, another one might be if you think of uh, Corey Tenboom hiding Jews in her house from predators who are seeking uh, to, like, to, she's protecting them by, by providing them a hiding place. David is saying God's mercy given to us protects us. And not only that, it guides us. This is really interesting. You see it in verse 9 when he says, do not be like a horse or a mule. What he's saying is, don't be like I was, okay? Don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. David is saying, this is what the Lord was doing to me. He was curbing me like, like, you, like a bit or a bridle curbs a horse in order to stay near its master. The, 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 the bit makes straying away from the, the owner of the horse uncomfortable, and he uses it to uh, this discomfort to keep the horse walking in the way it should go. God's mercy acts like a guide that shapes what our lives should look like. So his mercy protects us and his mercy guides us. That's the argument that David makes. Uh, And these things are important to remember because um, it's easy to ask this question. Why should I continue confessing my sins if they're all forgiven already? That's a natural question to ask. Well, one is just simply to acknowledge that sin, continuing unrepentant sin in our life is dangerous. Uh, John Owen, one of the great Puritan fathers, used to say, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And what he's talking about is uh, is, is, is a call to inhabit what we call mortifying our own sin, uh, continuing a habit of confession 
or and repentance and and remembering God's mercy because it does several things for us. One is it just brings us to a place where we recognize our constant need dependence on the Lord's grace. When we remember our sin, we're also remembering God's mercy and how much we need it. But it also teaches us to hate our sin. Because we also remember the cost of that mercy. It was my sin that put him there until it was accomplished. And this is how we grow. Mercy is the tutor that leads us in godly living. It protects us and it guides us. Let me close with a story here. There was a now retired Canadian pastor guy named Erwin Lutzer. Some of you might have heard about him. He was a very prolific pastor writer at one time. But he told a story once about Robert Bruce of Scotland in the 14th century. That might be a name that sounds familiar. Uh, And uh, at the time, he was leading his men in a battle for independence against England. And near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture him. And uh, so what they did was they put Uh, bloodhounds on his trail. Now, if you've ever heard the baying of a bloodhound, it's a sound you'll never, it's very unique. It's a sound you'll never forget. And if you're being pursued by them, it can be kind of haunting, you know? And so he and his attendant are hiding and uh, they hear these bloodhounds getting closer and the attendant says, we're done for. Like they're about to find us. And and uh, as the story goes, Robert the Bruce says, don't worry about it. I know what we're going to do. And he plunges into the river and he wades upstream and for a while. And then he hops out deeper into the forest. And then they listened as the bloodhounds pursued his trail all the way to the river. And then they stopped. Because the trail was broken. And the memory of our sins can be like baying dogs that chase us, hunting us, telling us something that's not true about who we are as those who are in Jesus Christ. But a stream flows, red with the blood of God's own Son. By grace through faith we are saved, and by grace through faith we are safe. Amen. Let me pray. O giver of mercy, keeper of our souls, heal us by your grace. Tell us who we are. Give us the courage to come to you in honesty and help us to embrace the wonder of forgiveness that you set before us. I ask these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.